Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. We cannot continue to do the same old things the same way we've always done them and expect to improve. We have got to find these novel approaches that actually have the ability to fight disease on that disease's terms. Sometimes long-held practices are hard to break and technological innovations of any kind are often challenged. Somebody once asked me, well, how do you know that polyclonal antibodies would work? And, and the answer to that is simple. If polyclonal antibodies didn't work, we would not exist as a species because that's the way our bodies naturally fight disease. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. In healthcare, they say the only constant is change. Medical practices and treatments are always evolving, and today's guest is on the cutting edge of an exciting development. Today, we're sitting down with Dr. Eddie Sullivan, co-founder, president, and CEO of SAB Biotherapeutics. Eddie has served in biopharma leadership positions for more than 25 years, and prior to joining SAB, he was CEO of Hematech, where he led initiatives to develop infectious disease, cancer, and autoimmune immunotherapies. A recognized thought leader in antibodies and transgenic animals, Eddie serves on the board of directors for the Biotechnology Innovation Organization. He's earned two PhDs in health science administration and reproductive physiology, and he holds an MS in reproductive physiology and molecular biology and a BS in animal health sciences. I talked to Eddie about SAB's polyclonal antibody research, bias in the biotech world, and the future of fighting diseases. Let's enter the arena with Dr. Eddie Sullivan. I originally had intended to go to veterinary school, and during a veterinary school interview, uh, someone actually mentioned something about uh, public health initiatives, and I thought, boy, that, that sounds really interesting. How do you get involved in something like that? And I made the decision at the time, rather than going to veterinary school, to actually take a more science approach and, and worked on a PhD at the time. So that really got me involved in, in looking at ways that we can treat diseases from multiple angles, including the use of antibodies. Rolling the clock back to when you started, what did you see in the marketplace that gave you the passion and incentive to start things up? And how did you get it off the ground? Yeah, you know, uh, th there are multiple ways that we treat disease today. 
But one of the things that I think is most interesting about what SAB does and what really piqued my interest about the technology that SAB represents is being able to use the natural way that our bodies fight disease through these unique proteins that we call antibodies. Now, immunotherapies are a very large industry, as you're well aware, in, in biotechnology, but it is dominated by monoclonal antibodies. The natural way that our bodies fight disease is a polyclonal approach. And so being able to find a way to produce fully human, fully polyclonal antibodies without the need for human donors was really the motivation behind development of this technology and the motivation of founding SAB and being able to take specific, targeted, fully human polyclonal antibodies into the market. And that's exactly what SAB has been working on since its founding in, in 2014. You've obviously developed this therapeutic platform. Maybe you can tell us what it's called and how cows come into the picture. Absolutely. So this is what makes it really, really unique and really the only company in the world that can produce fully human polyclonal antibodies without the need for human donors. The way that we do this is we've actually chosen cows as that production system. And so what we've done is we've turned off those cow antibody genes and replaced them with a human artificial chromosome. It's an engineered chromosome that we have engineered in such a way that these animals produce fully human antibodies rather than cow antibodies. And they do that in such a way that it mimics very much the way that the human body fights disease. And so these animals, rather than producing cow antibodies, they produce human antibodies. We can immunize or hyper-immunize these animals to any disease target that we would like to target that antibody protein response to. And they produce the fully human version of the antibodies. Then these animals simply become plasma donors three times per month. And we take the plasma and we purify out that highly targeted fully human polyclonal antibody. This is a very unique platform technology. It is the only one in the world that can do this in the way that we do it. And we are able not only to target to, say, infectious diseases, but because human proteins are actually foreign to these animals, we can target that human antibody response in these animals to human targets as well, like cancer or autoimmune targets. And so that's what makes this a very, very unique platform. I did hear a fun fact before this interview started in that all of these cows are exactly the same genetically and they have spots, but the spots might be in different places, but the percentage of color on the cow is exactly the same from cow to cow. Is that right? Well, that's a, that's approximately right. All of these animals... <laughs> All of these animals are actually clones. That is, that is absolutely correct. So they all have identical genetics. They all have the same human artificial chromosome. What that means is that you essentially have human polyclonal antibodies that are an unlimited supply practically because we just make more animals if we need more of the antibody. But because it comes from the same genetics, it's essentially an unlimited supply of a single donor. And that means the antibodies don't 
act, react with one another like you can get if you say combine antibodies from thousands of human patients. Those antibodies actually react with one another. These do not, and so we we have uh, that advantage. But these animals are all clones, and so uh, they look very much alike. But as you said, that spot pattern is not genetic. Those spots come from these uh, cells called uh, melanocytes that cause that color in that coat. And the migration of those cells is not a genetic factor. And so they migrate individually within the animals. But generally speaking, you'll have the same amount of white and red in these animals. I wanted to kind of wind the clock back a little bit. Talk about what happened at the company when, when COVID hit in early 2020. Well, that's right. Obviously, one of the big areas that these human polyclonal antibodies can be most effective to is in fighting infectious diseases, and particularly viruses that are highly mutating. One of the advantages of a polyclonal approach in highly mutating viruses is that the polyclonal antibodies actually bind to multiple, many different poly uh, locations on a virus. A monoclonal antibody, on the other hand, only binds to one place. And if you make two monoclonal antibodies, then maybe two places. So monoclonal antibodies are only a single mutation away from being inactive. Polyclonal antibodies, because they're binding to multiple locations, if one location mutates, well, you've got a lot of other antibodies that are binding to a lot of other places. So interestingly, in September of 2019, SAB Biotherapeutics started a contract, a three-year contract with the U.S. Department of Defense to use the polyclonal antibodies, no kidding, in response to pandemics and emerging infectious diseases. That was in September of 2019. This was supposed to be a three-year program where we were building capacity and proof of concept for using the platform technology to respond to pandemics and emerging diseases. Now we fast forwarded to March of 2020. And of course, by January, we knew there was something going on in the world, January of 2020, and that was the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. By March, the US Department of Defense came to us and said, okay, throw out all that you were going to do on this project and make us a polyclonal antibody to the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19. And so we did exactly that. We were a very small company. At the time, we only had 48 employees, and we had just a few of these animals that we could put on this project. But we pivoted very, very rapidly. And within 128 days, we were able to take a product from concept to a phase one clinical trial very, very rapidly. And then that was the start of us responding uh, to the COVID-19 pandemic. You had made it all the way to phase three, I believe, along with other giants like GSK and AstraZeneca. What happened to their COVID therapies and kind of what happened years later in there with other companies with lots and lots of resources? How did that all play out? Well, as a small company, of course, we had to uh, rely on uh, what we uh, received from the U.S. government in order to develop that product and to take it into phase three clinical trials. Uh, actually, our phase two and phase three clinical trials 
were designed and conducted by the National Institutes of Health that conducted many of the COVID-19 trials during the entire course of the pandemic. Now, you mentioned uh, some of the products that were made by some of the larger companies and specifically monoclonal antibodies. And as I mentioned before, in highly mutating viruses, a monoclonal antibody is just a single mutation away from being completely inactive. And the polyclonals, on the other hand, we showed two things during the course of the development of our product for COVID. One was that when we combined the polyclonal antibodies with the virus in a laboratory setting, the first thing is we didn't see any escape mutants, meaning viruses that had escaped the activity of our antibodies. We never developed any escape mutants. When we would combine a monoclonal antibody with the virus, we would always see escape mutants develop in the laboratory. And so that's the difference between having, you know, multiple antibodies that bind to multiple locations versus an antibody that only binds to a single location, is that not only are they just a single mutation away, but they can actually promote mutation happening by binding to just a single location. Yeah. Is there a perception uh, maybe by the government that monoclonal is something they should be focused on? And is there a, a perception or view monoclonal versus polyclonal? I think there is a little bit. And I just use an example of this is that quite often what we see as SAB in requests for proposals from the U.S. government is that they are very, very specific. And they often only say monoclonal antibodies. Well, interestingly, by putting monoclonal, just the word monoclonal in these RFPs, it can often exclude our technology, which I think is unfortunate. We, at the time, had discussions very early on with the Department of Defense and mentioned this fact that if they would simply just use the word antibodies but not be descriptive on whether a monoclonal or polyclonal would be preferred, then they would broaden the ability of companies like SAB and specifically SAB, since we're the only company that can really produce human polyclonals without the need for human donors, that would include us. And then we could simply compete on the merits of the technology and the ability to produce a countermeasure for any particular target that would be of interest to the U.S. government. But I think that there has been this overwhelming development of monoclonals in the past that has caused this continued perception that monoclonal is the only immunotherapy candidates that are available, when in fact that's just simply not the case anymore. And so we think it's important that polyclonals uh, be considered in this mix and that really we change the way that we ask for those RFPs. And it's important to include all technologies and particularly technologies that avoid becoming ineffective by mutation, like we saw with every single monoclonal antibody that was developed to the SARS-CoV-2 virus during the pandemic. But it seems like uh, common sense for public health. And by the way, this is likely not the last pandemic, right? And I, that, that's <laughs> why, correct. Why wouldn't, right? 
And and Tom, I might make mention just to just to kind of wrap up that story that uh, our phase three clinical trial was actually paused, not because our antibodies were no longer active, but because the phase three was actually an active comparator trial with a monoclonal antibody that became inactive between Delta and Omicron. And because the active comparator was no longer active, the FDA said we could no longer use that active comparator in the clinical trial. And that's what actually caused the pause for our phase three clinical trial. SAB's polyclonal antibody has continued to be active and effective to all known COVID-19 variants that we have tested to date. effectiveness of the monoclonal approach is pretty staggering, so I asked Eddie why more companies aren't focusing on polyclonal antibodies. I think there's really two reasons, and a lot of it has been the historic development of immunotherapies overall. You know, monoclonal antibodies were really discovered as a possible therapy or even a possible solution for many different diseases all the way back in around 1982. And that's really when that technology was really discovered. Since then, this uh, technology has grown into a you know two hundred and fifty billion dollar a year industry. And you know there are some some very good points about monoclonal antibodies. They are very very specific. They are a single antibody that can be well characterized, and the activity can be very very precise. But as I mentioned before. In the case of highly mutating viruses and even mutations that happen in other diseases like cancer, a polyclonal approach allows us to place multiple different kinds of antibodies all within a single product. It's really interesting that actually these two technologies are actually regulated by two different centers at the FDA. They're not regulated the same at all. Monoclonal antibodies are regulated by the Center for Drugs and are regulated very much like a small molecule drug where the the regulation centers around characterization of that antibody molecule. Polyclonal antibodies, on the other hand, are regulated by the Center for Biologics, and they are regulated as a true biologic with this polyclonal nature. We do not characterize the individual antibody molecules, but the characterization focuses on the activity of the overall polyclonal antibody itself. This is a very, very important distinction between the two technologies because what this allows us to do in a polyclonal approach is actually attack multiple uh, modes of action at the same time in the same product. And so we are absolutely taking advantage of that, not only in highly mutating viruses, but in other kinds of diseases, like bacterial diseases, like Clostridioides difficile, as an example, where our polyclonal antibodies not only are focused on the toxins that cause all the damage, this is a disease that causes severe diarrhea and dehydration and even death in patients, our antibodies focus on the toxins and 
on the bacteria itself. This is a very unique approach to have a single product that can not only uh, attack the bacteria, but also the toxins that are produced by the bacteria that cause all the damage. So that's what a polyclonal approach allows us to do that a monoclonal simply cannot. I know you have a pipeline that includes uh, type 1 diabetes, for example, and in January you had a successful completion of a toxicology study. What were the results of that study and where do you go from here with your approach to diabetes 1? Yes, so this is an interesting product uh, candidate for us. And one of the reasons for that is because polyclonal antibodies are not something that are new. For many, many years, polyclonals have been used that come from humans, which have some limitations because you have to, you can't specifically immunize a human just to collect their polyclonal antibodies. So you have to find humans that have been affected by a disease in order to use their antibodies to treat other people. So that we call that convalescent plasma or convalescent IVIGs. Another approach is to use fully animal antibodies, rabbit antibodies or horse antibodies or sheep antibodies that can, that can be targeted to specific disease and be used to treat humans. The problem is, is that these antibodies that come from animals are animal antibodies. And so when you put those into a human patient, the human patient recognizes that as being a foreign protein and has an immune response to that animal antibody. SAB's technology brings these two technologies together. We are able to hyperimmunize our animals to specific diseases, but the antibodies that come out are fully human antibodies. And so when you put those into humans, they recognize them as being human and they don't mount a, an immune response to our antibodies. In the case of type 1 diabetes, and the reason that we're so excited about this target is because, first of all, it is a target to a specific human antigen. So we're producing a human version of products that already exist but are animal antibodies, a fully rabbit antibody that has this same effect or a fully horse antibody. And interestingly, that rabbit antibody product has been shown to have some very, very interesting efficacy in preventing the continued development of early onset type 1 diabetes. This is in in human clinical trials. The problem, of course, is that these patients develop a reaction to the rabbit antibodies. Our fully human antibody has been shown to have the exact same mode of action. It is targeted to the same cells that cause the beta cells in the pancreas to be attacked and to be essentially made completely without the ability to produce insulin. So we think that this human version of this particular product focused on taking out those T cells that cause damage to the pancreas is an excellent approach. It already has clinical proof of concept, and we're simply producing a human antibody version that has the same mode of action. And so that's why we're focused on that particular autoimmune disease target. 
And then in, in addition to that, influenza, you mentioned C. diff, it's gastrointestinal and oncology. Maybe describe how the platform can span kind of all this, this mix of indications. Well, you can imagine, you know, somebody once asked me, well, how do you know that polyclonal antibodies would work? And, and the answer to that is simple. If polyclonal antibodies didn't work, we would not exist as a species, because that's the way our bodies naturally fight disease, right? In fact, yeah. uh, all mammals and birds and, and other animals, they produce antibodies to fight disease. Our bodies are constantly producing these antibodies to fight disease. So if we are naturally infected with influenza, or if we're vaccinated with the influenza vaccine, as an example, our bodies produce antibodies, these antibody proteins, in order for us to fight the disease if we're exposed to it. What we are doing is just simply adding that next step. We're immunizing the cows, they're producing the human antibodies, and then we can put those antibodies into people. What makes it different is that uh, vaccines, while they're very, very important and we should all get vaccinated, not all people actually mount a good antibody response to vaccines. So this is the case with influenza. So by immunizing these healthy cows and, and having them produce antibodies, we can give those antibodies to people that are at high risk for developing severe disease in influenza. The other difference between vaccines and what our technology represents is that when you give our antibodies to a patient, they are instantly protected from that disease. So if you were to give these, say, prophylactically to a patient, the idea would be that they would be instantly protected from a disease. So one of the other areas, aside from treatment, that these can be used would be prophylactically, say, in first responders in the case of a pandemic where we know that healthcare workers and first responders are often exposed first to these very serious diseases, like we saw during the COVID-19 pandemic. What are you most excited about, Eddie, when you think about the next five years uh, at SAB? Well, the most exciting thing in the next five years, of course, is going to be to get that first product across the finish line and into licensure where we are helping the most patients. You know, all of us that work in this industry, I think we have a motivation for going into this line of work. And that was, and that is to help people that suffer from disease and to find ways to meet the needs the unmet needs for so many diseases out there for, for patients. And so I'm excited as we continue to prove that this technology has utilization across a very broad group of indications and unmet medical needs for patients. What do you think the biggest challenges in the biotech industry today? There are always challenges, no matter what we do. But some of the biggest challenges include things like finding novel approaches to specific diseases. We cannot continue to do the same old things the same way we've always done them and expect to improve. We have got to find these novel approaches that actually have the ability to fight disease on that disease's terms.
And so when a virus is highly mutating, we need to make sure that we have technologies that can cover that mutation and can essentially keep up with mutation of diseases. We can do that. We need to continue to find ways to develop countermeasures to infectious diseases and to other diseases in a rapid and yet safe fashion. I just want to make mention of one thing. We talk about accelerated approvals. Accelerated approvals do not mean shortcuts. What accelerated approvals mean is that the regulatory agencies are working to approve a product more rapidly by putting more resources on the review, but that review is rigorous and safe. And so accelerated approvals are a continued need in this industry. And I know they're being attacked recently as there is growing concern in the public that accelerated approval means shortcuts. It does not mean shortcuts. SAB's platform safely reproduces a form of disease prevention that occurs naturally in humans. It's a unique approach that makes so much sense and SAB has a great pipeline as well as great management. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank Dr. Eddie Sullivan for joining us today. His incredible expertise and thought leadership is shifting healthcare and disease prevention into bold new territory, and I'm excited to see the impact he and SAB will have in the future. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.